Welcome to Know Your Foe on Colts.com, an in-depth look at the upcoming matchup. Here are your hosts, Casey Vallier and former Colts wide receiver, Bill Brooks. Welcome back for another episode of Know Your Foe on Colts.com. I'm your host, Casey Vallier, and I'm joined, as always, with Colts Ring of Honor wide receiver, Bill Brooks. The Colts are coming off their bye week and are on the road as they head to Minnesota to take on the Vikings on Saturday. And to help us dive into the Vikings, it's Ben Gessling, who covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune. Ben, thank you so much for the time. How are you? I am doing well. Just uh, working through a snowstorm up here in Minneapolis, but it's, you know, very on brand for us this time of year. Right. I mean, that's that's kind of what you expect from Minnesota. But this game is going to be indoors. So you don't have to worry about that, right? Yeah. Actually, the funny thing is, the last time the Colts were here, it was like nine below outside, and it was the first year that that stadium was open. They had been outside the previous two years, and that that playoff game they lost, where Blair Walsh missed the field goal, was like six below yes this was even colder than that i remember walking into the stadium saying it's good to be inside (laughs) well i know from both sides i'm sure everybody's excited to be inside it's definitely coming this weekend now the vikings i want to start with you know the way they are right now 10 and 3 you look at it from just a statistical standpoint it's a team that's definitely played very well that can clinch the division this weekend with a win but do you think this team is kind of under the radar at 10 and 3? I feel like not many not much buzz is going around this Vikings team. Well, yeah, and it's been interesting because there's sort of this conflict I think at least nationally about how good they really are because you look at the point spread and there's been a lot made of that in terms of they're the first 10 and 3 team ever to have been outscored for the season. I think their their point differential is negative 1. Yeah. So the you know if you look at that part of it, it would suggest this is like a six and six team that should be fighting for a wild card spot. And the way the NFC North is, you'd still be in the mix of the division, but uh-huh. it would be a lot tighter than it is where you're looking to clinch in early December. It's been, I think, the the lack of buzz is probably because you haven't seen these kind of dominating performances that it make everybody sort of stand up and take notice. I, I think that's had. A lot to do with it. It's been, you know, they're they're nine and zero in one score games. Right. So a lot of this has been built on being great in the fourth quarter when you've had to be great in the fourth quarter. And in the Buffalo game, certainly is the one that I think that caught everybody's attention with the Justin Jefferson catch and the right. improbable fumble when the Bills are trying to get out of their own end zone. <laughs> I mean, all of that stuff I think kind of raised their profile at the time. But then they get blown out by the Cowboys the next week. So I think everybody's still sort of like, well, is this team for real or is this a a record built on a lot of close wins, and it could come apart if they have to play somebody that's of a higher caliber in the playoffs. They've beaten some good teams, but they've also gotten blown out by some good teams like Philly and Dallas. So there's, I think everybody's still just sort of waiting for them to definitively say, yes, we are for real, and we belong in the conversation among the NFC's best teams. Now, is one of those reasons because of Kirk Cousins? He's got that perception that's you know kind of just another guy. He's going to finish in the top ten, top fifteen every year. Seems to be a guy who wins in the regular season, but the postseason success really hasn't been there. Is that kind of a fair assessment of where Kirk Cousins is nationally? I kind of want to know where he is, you know, in Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is an accurate assessment of where Kirk Cousins is nationally. I, I think the question is always, at least as as he sees it or people around him kind of see it, is is that assessment fair? And I think he has done a lot this year to counteract some of that. Now, the funny thing is his numbers. I mean, everybody always kind of says, well, he's a big box scorer. He's not the guy that gets it done in the clutch. His numbers this year are some of the worst he's posted in Minnesota. I I think completion percentage-wise, it's down 
interceptions are up a little bit, uh-huh. but he has been the guy in fourth quarters and two-minute drills that they've needed every single week. I mean, the, the idea that he can't do it in on the big stage, he can't do it when the chips are down, and he has sort of answered a lot of those critiques of year, and I, I think you know, playoff success certainly would be the thing that would ultimately do that, and, and he knows that. He's admitted that in numerous times, I think, over the years. But, yeah, there is sort of this conflict with him of, again, kind of like the team, and I think a lot of it's wrapped up in this of, you know, what do we make of this guy? I, I think in Minnesota there has sort of been this perception of him that's been pretty close to what it has been nationally of, well, he's he's fine, but we are not going to get to where we want to go with him. I, I do think the close victories and the performances he's put up in the clutch have changed some of that narrative in recent weeks. I, I mean, even last week in Detroit, they lose that game, but he, he was great, I looked yeah. at that game and, it's, yeah, it's like, what else could you want the guy exactly. to do? Exactly. So, I think the perception is changing a little bit from that as people get a little bit closer look at some of those things. Now, Ben, I want to move to the running game. Dalvin Cook is on pace for a 1,000-yard season but only has two 100-yard games this year and is averaging only 73 yards per game. In the games against the Patriots and Lions, he ran for 42 yards and 23 yards respectively. What has been going on with the running game this year? Well, that's been interesting, too, in the sense that you've seen it shift, obviously. Mike Zimmer was a guy who wanted to run the ball. Made yes. no bones about that. That was going to be their identity, is they were going to run the ball and they were going to run it through Dalvin Cook an awful lot. Kevin O'Connell, obviously, is not doing that. That's not going to be the identity of this team. The identity is going to be get the ball to Justin Jefferson. So you've seen that, I think, but they've also had this thing where they've just had trouble opening up space for him. I mean, the, the yards before contact stats for him have been pretty low, and, and you saw it last week. A lot of negative runs, a lot of plays where – there are people at the line of scrimmage ready to meet him or even in the backfield. I mean, the, the the jump pass he tried to throw at the goal line that they figured this is going to be wide open for a touchdown. They had a receiver wide open for that, Johnny Munt, their tight end, but that play got blown up so fast that Cook had nowhere to go with the ball and then is trying to handle it like a quarterback, and that's where that fumble happens. But a lot of this has been him not having space to run, I think, in the, the way that he is used to having it. And that's been something they have to figure out. I, I don't know that that's going to be a lot easier on Sunday with that Colts defensive line, but that I think has had some of that's some of the reason for it. Uh, he's been playing through shoulder injuries. He he says that's not affecting him on a weekly basis. I he's had a lot of carries over the last few years, so you could talk about has he lost a step? I, I think that's part of the conversation too. But when he has had room to run, he's been able to be effective, and I, I think some of it is just kind of trying to find that space for him up front. Now, Ben, you mentioned Justin Jefferson, and last week he set a franchise record for most receiving yards in a single game, and we have seen all the highlight catches he's made throughout this year. What makes this young man so good, and in your opinion, how good can he be? Well, I mean, he, he's been, I think, more than anybody would have expected around here. I mean, they, they thought we've got a very good receiver, but to have him be sitting here in year three, I mean, he's already like ninth in franchise history and receptions and receiving yards. And he's played like 45 games and he can catch. (laughs) I think he can catch Stefan Diggs in like the next week or two on one of those stats. I mean, you're you're talking about a guy that is rewriting their record book and he's rewritten the NFL record book the first three years of his career. As for what makes him so good, I I think it's a few things. Everybody kind of thought this is a slot receiver when he came out. He's shown that Mm -hmm. he can, he can play everywhere. He can play the X, he can play the slot. You can play in the backfield if you need him to do some of those things. He is, he's great 
and making contested catches. He's big enough to go over the top of people. And he's also a lot more fluid in his route running than people kind of expect. He, he does a lot of work to, I think, refine that part of his game in, in terms of offseason stuff, in terms of kind of grabbing stuff from basketball, grabbing stuff from soccer even. He's, he's kind of studying all of these different things in terms of how can I add something else to my movement skill that's going to get me open at the line of scrimmage. And, and he's shown he's awfully good at it. You know, teams try to press him, try to get physical with him. They've had, some teams have had success with that, but he's gotten better in that regard too. I, I think it's interesting because the last time the Vikings played the Colts, this was week two, I think of his rookie year. He wasn't starting. Right. They I didn't remember really that. Yeah. Take him out of the garage until week three that season. And then he took off from there. So broke rookie records when he basically didn't start those first two games. And it's uh, the, the sky certainly does seem to be the limit for him because he wants to be the best ever. He's kind of got this, humble kind of joyful way of going about it that doesn't seem to be the ego sometimes you may expect of somebody that's had that kind of success i think it's just i want to be as good as i possibly can and, and kind of take everybody along for the ride with me we're talking with ben gessling who covers the vikings for the star tribune i wanted to talk about the trade they made right at the deadline with acquiring tj hawkinson from a divisional rival in the lions how's that trade been received and and what's the long-term plan with tj with the vikings yeah, it's been interesting because they've made that was the third interdivision trade they made this year. They made two in the draft that helped the Lions get Jamison Williams and helped the Packers get Christian Watson. And everybody kind of thought, well, what? this is they're they're helping their rivals that may hurt them for years. And Jamison Williams, of course, catches the touchdown last week. Right. Christian Watson has been great for the Packers the last month or two here. So that that may happen, but it was a sign that. Quasi Adolfo Mensa, their new GM, is going to take some risks. And I think that also opened up the possibility to make this trade. I mean, Brad Holmes has talked about this in Detroit, that the, the draft trade helped those two kind of realize we aren't necessarily the traditional thinkers that say, no, you can't trade with anybody in your division. There's no ability to do that. We're willing to kind of think outside the box. And I think that opened up the Hawkinson deal when it got done. And that was a position where they needed help with Irv Smith going yeah. down early in the year. So... It was one of those things that it was, I think players received it kind of the way fans did, of, hey, this is this is an all-in type of move. Right. And he's signed for next year. His fifth-year option's there. I, I think he's going to be the guy at the tight end spot going forward, obviously still young enough to be in that mix for a long time. But they knew they needed help with that receiving group, especially because teams like to put all of their attention on Justin Jefferson, and you needed somebody else to make people think twice about that. Adam Thielen's still very effective, but – not quite as dynamic, perhaps, as he's been in the past. And I think Hawkinson has given them kind of another threat to make teams think twice about putting all of their attention toward Jefferson. It, it's been interesting just how quickly he's kind of become – I mean, you look at the target numbers. Yeah, He's number two since they brought him in, and uh, I don't think that's going to – I don't think that role is going to shrink for him anytime soon. So it's been a big acquisition for them, no question about it. Now, switching over to the defensive side of the ball, I want to start up front. Daniil Hunter, he's probably a guy who's going to be in the Vikings' ring of honor. And then also Zadarius Smith having what looks to be a typical year. He's got nine sacks. How effective have they been in comparison to what this defense has done? Yeah, they had a lot better start to the year than what we've seen in the last few weeks. Zadarius Smith has been playing through some knee injuries, and I think that's been part of why you haven't seen him put up the same numbers. He's also getting a lot of attention from opponents that kind of – a lot of their resources towards slowing him down. The Vikings will move him around a lot. It's a lot of the way he was used in Green Bay. Mike Smith, his position coach, 
is the same guy that coached him in Green Bay. So it's this idea of where can we put him to get the best possible matchup, whether that's over a tackle, whether it's over a guard, whether it's over a center. You'll see him kind of do all of those things. He's he's awfully dangerous when he's able to get going, and I, I think the, the knee injury has slowed him down a little bit. They need more from him down the stretch, and they probably also need more from Daniil Hunter, who has kind of been in this transition where he's been a 4-3 defensive end most of his career in that Mike Zimmer system. And now they have him standing up. They have him playing defensive end in their nickel, but in base downs, he's standing up at the 3-4 linebacker. So that's been a different role for him, and I think it's taken him a while to get used to that. And I, I think you've seen some of those numbers probably reflect, you know, seven sacks has been a nice year, but this is a guy that by this time of year, when he's healthy, a lot of times it's been 12 or 13. Yeah. So they are, I think, still trying to get a little more out of him. And I think one thing they want to see is, He's had some pressures. He's been around the quarterback, but they also need to see him finish some of those plays, especially if their secondary is capable of giving up things on broken plays where, yeah, it's great to put a quarterback under duress, but if he can still get out and make a throw on the run and beat you sometimes, you know, a sack certainly is, is preferred to all of those things. Now, Ben, this Vikings defense has struggled against the pass this year, and they are 32nd uh, in both passing yards per play and passing yards per game. What has been the problem for this Vikings pass defense, and what does Cameron Dantzler back in the lineup do for this defense? Well, it, it, I think a lot of the problem has been, I mean, you've seen them go to this system that's very trendy around the league, obviously. It's the Vic fangio influence stuff that you see Brandon Staley made very popular with the Rams before he went to the Chargers. You see the Packers running it, the Broncos running it. It's a lot of the, we don't want to give up stuff down the field, but they give up a lot underneath as a result. They've been playing in this off coverage all year and getting beat for a lot of stuff underneath. And then recently, it's been busted coverages, like you saw last week in Detroit, that get them burned for, for long touchdowns. I, I think Cameron Dantzler has been, early in the year, he was, was awfully helpful in trying to help the secondary be a little bit better than it was. But he has been involved in a lot of those coverage busts in the last wow. couple of weeks. You, you've seen it against the Lions. You saw it early in the year against the Eagles, those plays where kind of situational awareness of where do I need to be, what's my assignment, what's my check on this, if, if something changes the line of scrimmage. He's still, I think, figuring out a lot of that stuff in this scheme, and they need that to happen quickly because they need that secondary to play a lot better than it has, simply because that pass rush has not been as effective as it was early in the year, and all of these things, as you guys know, work together. So... They need, I think, Dantzler to be a little bit more tuned into the defense and a little bit more tuned into what everybody else is doing around him you know, so that you don't see those coverage busts or breakdowns that result from, I thought you had this guy, or you know, no, I thought you had him. I mean, that has happened to them quite a bit in the last few weeks, and some of fixing that is going to probably fall on these young corners being able to, to pick up the scheme. And Patrick Peterson, their, their great veteran corner, spends a lot of time trying to bring these guys along, has them over to dinner at his house every Wednesday. Basically, he cooks them dinner and says, let's go watch the film, and I'll, I'll try to tell you everything I know. But there's still a learning curve for a lot of these young corners that no matter how much help you get, no matter how much you have somebody like that kind of pouring out his wisdom, it takes some time. And it is, I think you're seeing that as a result of uh, trying to, to have all these guys learn on the fly. Yeah, and that's where I wanted to go with my next question about the two players in the secondary, Harrison Smith and Patrick Peterson, have, have had impressive careers. And I just want to know, what have these two individuals brought to that secondary uh, to help these young guys out? 
Well, I mean, Harrison Smith obviously is has been there, you know, for more than a decade now. It's, he's been the the mainstay of that secondary for an awfully long time. It's been interesting to watch him kind of change roles in this scheme because he was sort of that that utility knife from Mike Zimmer where they'd put him just about anywhere. He'd be near the line of scrimmage, he'd be back in, in deep coverage at times, or he'd have to bail from a, a, a assignment near the line of scrimmage to get back in a deep coverage right before the snap. And, you know, he's really good at that. He always has been great at, at holding disguises and being able to, to bait people. You see him in deep coverage a lot more often this year, which the interception numbers are back up, I think, as a result of that yeah. because he is awfully good at – their their look every time you get to the line of scrimmage is two deep safeties. They they are going to play a lot of quarters. They'll also play some cover three and roll a safety down to the weak side quite often. So you'll you'll see all of those things. And he's great at holding those disguises. And and just as a guy that knows where the play is going to go, we've seen a lot. He's been awfully successful and and adds a lot to the defense in that regard. I mean Patrick Peterson, I think, has been kind of a a rebirth in some ways this year. He he had. An okay season last year. Teams didn't throw at him very much, but didn't do a lot to stand out in that first year in Minnesota. And they come in with a new scheme this year, and he's been a press corner most of his career. So it's, okay, how is this going to work? And he has said, I've always loved this scheme. I've always loved watching the 49ers run it or the Bears run it when Ed Donatello was there. All of these teams that have done it, the Rams certainly have done it over the last few years. I think I could be really successful in this. And the thing you've seen him do is – embrace it in the sense that it doesn't require him to run around as much he's not pressing receivers I, it's not as physically taxing on him in his 12th season as it would have been if he was doing press man coverage at this point and he's had a great season is leading the team in pass breakups i think has three or four interceptions really i mean you'll see him in great position on a lot of these plays fundamentally technically sound knows where to be knows what to do doesn't get beat very often doesn't get penalized very often there's been a lot of things I think that have happened this year for them probably don't happen the same way if he hasn't been as effective as he's been. I mean, really, those two guys have been the mainstays of that secondary, and his role in that locker room, and he carries a big voice in that yeah. room, and I think players, certainly on the defensive side, but also throughout the team, kind of sit up and listen when he has something to say. Now, final thing with Ben Gessling, who covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune, this team's going to clinch the division with a win, but what they do after that is pretty important. So where is your confidence level with this team in a win-or-go-home situation as we get closer to the playoffs? Well, it's going to depend, I think, on who they play in some ways. Because yeah. if it's Dallas coming in, I mean, if Dallas beat them 40-3 to the last time they came in, there are certain teams, I think, that will give them a lot of trouble. I think Dallas would. I think Philadelphia certainly would. San Francisco certainly can and san francisco's got a lot of injury things to figure out but these teams with aggressive fronts i think they're going to have trouble with i think they certainly are capable of making a run but you're going to have to beat probably dallas or san francisco in round two and then you're gonna probably have to go out to philadelphia in the nfc championship game and and vikings fans certainly remember the last time they were in the nfc title game five years ago after the minneapolis miracle thinking we're going to be the first team to host the super bowl and then they get blown out in philadelphia so those teams, I think, are going to give them a lot of trouble and trying to figure out, probably especially defensively, how do we match up? How can we deal with some of these fronts? And then on the other side of the ball, how can we stop these pass rushes from affecting us the way that we've seen them do it? That's going to be the big question. Getting Christian Darrisaw back this weekend is a big deal for them. They need to keep him healthy. But I certainly think they have the talent, especially those high-end skill position players, 
and they just believe in what Kevin O'Connell is doing, I think they have the ability to make a run, but they will need to answer some of the questions that some of these losses to Philadelphia and Dallas have opened up. This is a team, I think, that believes it can make a deep run, but a lot of it will come down to just the details and execution of it that they haven't always gotten right. That These next few weeks here will give them an opportunity to kind of work on those things, and then it's uh, then it's playoff time, and, and we'll see where it goes from there. Well, there you go. Four more weeks, four more games for the Vikings to sure up everything as they make a playoff push. That was Ben Gessling, who covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune. Ben, thank you so much for the time, and enjoy the game on Saturday. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. The Colts are in Minnesota to take on the Vikings on Saturday. They head back home next week as they welcome in the Chargers on Monday Night Football. And we're going to talk with Daniel Popper, who covers the Chargers for The Athletic. But this Saturday, it's the Colts and Vikings in Minnesota. For Bill Brooks, I'm Casey Valley. Enjoy the game and go Colts.